Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org, and we're broadcasting from Southern California. If you're local, we're on KPraise, 1210 AM, as, as well as uh, FM 107.9 uh, in North County. And uh, you can check us out there. We're also all over social media. And we've got hundreds of, of uh, valuable interviews with people from all over the world talking about how God has has uh, impacted their lives and then how through them they are then impacting others' lives. And uh, I did have uh, Michael Ag Alexander on just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the new um, bill that is being presented in uh, California to give freedom of education for uh, students all up and down the coast of California, all over the state of California. The goal is to give them the opportunity to go to whatever school they, they would like to uh, through uh, education vouchers. And um, that's going to be coming up, uh, Lord willing, on the ballot in a, uh, about two years. So uh, that's a great thing to get involved with. Uh, my guest this evening is the Dean of the School of Engineering, Mark Horstemeyer. And um, that is liberty.edu forward slash engineering. And a little bit about him. He has a PhD in mechanical engineering. He has an MS in engineering mechanics a BS in mechanical engineering. And uh, he joined Liberty University in 2019. And he has extensive experience um, in the real world uh, at Owens Corning Fiberglass, as well as many other um, uh, organizations and companies. He's published over 500 journal articles, conference papers, books, and technical reports. And get this, this is pretty incredible. He's been cited over 12,000 times um, in his research and writings. And uh, that is pretty astonishing. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for being on the program today. Oh, glad, glad to be here with you, Kevin. Yeah, man, I do, I do not know how you have accomplished so much in your lifetime. I'm blown away. Somebody, you need to write a book on time management because uh, that, <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. Um, I wanted to start off with this, this quick um, stat. There was a, a study done uh, recently. 72% of Generation Z, Generation Z is those born between 2000 and 2015, don't believe that church teachings and science are compatible. And uh, Mark, I just wanted to uh, throw that out there. Um, what has been your impression, um, you know, as students come to Liberty University and you know, they're talking about their experiences, um, you're, you're dealing with students on a regular basis, you're really on the cutting edge of of what's happening in our culture as it pertains to science and faith and God, because this is what you're dealing with on a regular basis. Um, does that sound, does that sound accurate? That, that stat I just shared with you? Yeah, I, I would say in the secular institutions, when Christians go there or Muslims or Mormons or, you know, God fearing people, uh, God believing people that, you know, when they go to secular institutions, the first thing they run in is materialistic evolution. And so they try to shipwreck their faith and cause doubt about those things. Where at Liberty, I would say for the most part, uh, the kids come in believing about God. And of course, we support um, the, the biblical perspective on, on, on science uh, as opposed to an atheistic version of science. Um, and, you know, the age old confrontation of faith versus science um i don't think it's quite accurate actually um and and let me make two points one is when we look at the scientific method the scientific method the first thing is we make an observation and then the second thing 
we make a hypothesis about that observation. And then we have to set up experiments to falsify our working hypothesis. If we, and if it can't be falsified, it becomes a theory. And then after, after many more experiments, human experiments becomes a law, a law of nature, like the law of biogenesis, that life can only come from life, previous existing life. Okay, that's a law that we have seen over and over and over and never been violated. Okay. Yeah, now, can I ask you a question about that? You know, yeah. it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually was having a conversation um, with an atheist and I, I specifically brought up the law of biogenesis because um, you, you look at the law of biogenesis, all life comes from pre-existent life, yep. all life reproduces after its kind. And, and uh, he goes, well, actually scientists are, are considering that this is actually not a law uh, in reality. Um, and, and so he tried to <laughs> dispute yeah. it. So uh, scientists are doing it and those scientists are wrong, yeah. right? Data, yeah. 100% of all the data says that, okay, 100%. So you could, now here's my point. Here's where I'm getting to. Let's imagine I find a fossil. Okay, that's my observation. I find a fossil. My hypothesis is over millions of years, random chance events, long periods of times, animals went from, from molecules to man, and this is one of them, okay? And it was lithified, you know, 250 million years ago. That kind of Okay. The next step is set up an experiment. Go ahead, set up an experiment to last 250 million years. Go ahead. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. You can't. So evolution, macroevolution can never reach the level of a theory, let alone a law. Mm. So it becomes only a working hypothesis. It's a belief. It's a belief. Okay. Because they can never set up an experiment to test that. Experience, the scientific method, the scientific law, science is bound by human experience. And if you're making up stories about what happened outside of human experience, about humans being there, you're making up stories. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Okay? So, um, I mean, uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people out there that are, that are disputing that. Uh, weird, weirdly, look, it doesn't seem hey, like it's disputable, but... <laughs> they, can, they can believe anything they want to believe, right? The thought police aren't out yet. If you want to believe you know, that, that, a that, that a princess can kiss a frog and become a prince, you can believe that. It's fine, you know, but now set it, if you, but when you call it science, you've got to set up experiments, you got to go through the process, yeah. okay? That, that's key. Now, Theodore, now so I want to make another point. Theodore von Karman said, now he's the guy, Jet Propulsion Lab, Caltech, he, he won the Medal of Science 1960, John F. Kennedy, he won the first Medal of Science in the United States, 1960. Von Karman made a beautiful statement. He said, science is the discovery of what exists. Engineering is a creation of what never was. Mm. Okay, so there's a distinction. And it's a beautiful distinction. If it exists and I study it, and I go through the scientific method as science. If I'm talking about creating something, I'm engineering something, there's a different process. It goes through design, analysis, procurement, logistics, assembly, function sustainability and in depth recycling it's a different process okay that's interesting yeah so so then we go back to your point people have said well it's an issue of faith versus science well first of all i made the point it's two working hypotheses against each other one says that you know god created everything which i can't repeat that in experiment either like the evolutionists can't repeat with what their history said but there's a big distinction between science and engineering, though. 
And, and what, we're, what they're really trying to do when they go back in time is do something called reverse engineering. Okay, they're trying to do reverse engineering. Well, that's an admission that it was engineered. Yeah, okay? yeah. So, so I have no problem saying, I have no problem saying that some of these things were not science. I have no problem, yeah, it's not science. It's engineering, it's fine, it's engineering. Innovation, that's not science, it's engineering. Design, that's not science, it's engineering. That's really, that's really great because, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I was quoting an engineer at one point in time and somebody commented and said, hey, this, this guy's not even a biologist. He's not even, he's an engineer. Uh, what in the world does that have to do with evolution? Uh, why, why should we respect this guy's opinion on anything? And yet you're saying, um, well, if you're trying to reverse engineer what you see in nature, that's like you said, creationeering. Biologists are trying to reverse engineer. Okay. They're trying to do it. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you're a biologist, and my, my question to you is, do you think of a random chance events, long periods of time, we've gone from molecules to man? And a lot of Christians could say, no, no. Okay, do you believe it was engineered? Many biologists say, yeah. Then why aren't you studying engineering? Mm. Then why don't you understand the engineering process and do reverse engineering? It's a process. So help us explain that for, for the average person out there. When you're talking about, um, you know, why aren't you exploring engineering? How does engineering um, help a person to get a better grip on uh, the facts of creation than, than um, say, studying biology uh, yeah. in that it's, case? It's good. it's good, Kevin. And I've never had this conversation before, so it's a very good question. But, but I've, th I've thought about it. And see, see the, the issue is the process of thinking. And engineering, more so than, than any other discipline, is a synthesis. Everything's a system. Everything's a system. And it starts from the system top down, not bottom up from little things to big things. It starts from the system down. Okay. So, so you're talking about looking at the overall picture of what it is you're trying to achieve and working from the finished design down to the, com the component details. Yeah, let me, let me make a concrete example. Let's talk about if we were gonna design a car. So for example, Nissan's uh, artsy people, they live in San Diego, down there we are at, in California. And they make a beautiful, beautiful looking vehicle on the outside, all right? It's, it's the complete thing, right? Now, but it doesn't work. It's beautiful, but it doesn't work. <laughs> then they send it to phase two to the, the engineers, right? The design engineers. The engineers get it and they make it more blockier and uglier, but they're compromising form for function. But it works now. It works. And then, then the, the, crash, the crash engineer gets it later. And, you know, mom was worried about the babies in the van and everything. And so there's a design change based on those environments. And everything. But it's all the system first. And the systems engineers get it. And they go down and they put constraints on this of subsystem components like the chassis system. And then the sub, subsystem will maybe put a constraint on say a control arm. And the control arm then puts a constraint on the axle designer. You know? So you have different length scales now, all the way going down to the different length scales from the largest structure to the smallest structure, even down to the electrons. You get a material scientist dealing with the electrons now in a vehicle. And, and, and yeah, now that, and then there's an upscaling connection 
but the constraints, requirements, and everything come from the system from the top down. That's how engineers view things and look at things. And why why is that uh, why is that a check mark against uh, evolution evolutionary claims? Yeah. So I mean, evolution believes uh, from uh, from Aristotle's great chain of being from the smallest thing to the greatest thing that we go from from molecules and somehow through imagination and some other thing, all these systems, complex systems were created. Yeah, and as and 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 fundamentally, the problem is is that um, you have to have a top down view to get to where we're at. You can't. You have to. You have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and 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 so, and this leads me to the to the idea. This is what continuum theories are: continuum mechanics. And I, I had when I met you before, I talked to you about this proof, this physics proof of God's existence, and it goes through the same thing, the same the same idea. I have these designers designing this complex car, system of the car, all right, and and in designing the vehicle, we had to we had to run simulations. And the simulations we, we run, there's conservation equations, math equations that say we have to conserve mass, we have to conserve energy, we have to conserve momentum. That's a law. Those are laws. But then what happens mathematically, there's too many unknowns for those equations. So mathematically, we need other equations. That's called the material model or constitutive equations, constitution of the material. Then we have another enough equations. And and enough unknowns that they solve each other. That's called a boundary value problem. And this is how we, we, recall, we, we run calculations of cars crashing, planes crashing. Um, you know, I did analysis of the Columbia Space Shuttle blowing up over Texas, that kind of thing. Uh, I was involved at Sandia Labs designing thermonuclear bombs using these things. We, we are now at the point we use these high performance computing simulation methods. We get very accurate answers because we include the uncertainties in them, right? But it starts from the continuum level, the top level, and the constraints pushed all the way down to the electrons, and then we do the we do the physics coming back up from from the electrons there. It's all constrained by the system's design. All right. Now, one famous law that's used in the constitutive laws of materials is something called the Hooke's law. We use it in everything, and it's been validated, verified from this guy Robert Hooke, who lived at the same time as Isaac Newton in the 1700s. This is 1700s. Okay. Yeah. And, this is, and the idea is you're pulling forces and, and there's a displacement related to a force. You're pulling it to something, but, but, and, and they had ropes and they were like pulling these things. And they said, you know, let's see if we can, we can figure out when something breaks, these ropes break. And everything. Well, they couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't until a hundred years later, until 1822 that a guy named Cauchy in France divided the force by the area. And then we get, the stress that's called the stress a mechanical stress of something and we relate it to the strain and we have this relationship and that's what we use to design cars that's what we use to design planes and thermonuclear bonds in these boundary value problems so these tools they've been validated verified we know they work so then i ask the question what if those same laws can be applied to the universe okay and there's a key thing in, in, in these laws. And Koshu's law says that, like in, in the like if we were designing a Cadillac, the Cadillac car, there's 22 different boundary conditions we're worried about when driving that Cadillac. One of them, it runs over a railroad track. One of them, it curves and hits a pothole. Another one, 
you know, it wrecks into another car, okay? 22 different conditions. Those are boundary. We call those boundary conditions, right? And so it's called a boundary value problem. So we, we simulate all these boundary value problems, everything, and, and we design the vehicle from the system all the way down, and we get answers. We know it, right? So if your so car question, if your if your car's not running well, then then you know they they didn't do a good job of their their boundary calculations. Exactly. <laughs> that's, no, that's right. Yeah. They didn't optimize. I had Which a car. I'm talk I, about optimization later. <laughs> I had a car that caught on caught on fire when I was in college on on the freeway. Oh, no. <laughs> I won't say the name and the brand of the car because I don't want to I don't want to um, turn you anybody off. Indict, you don't want to <laughs> indict Chrysler, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but but yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> so so the question I had, okay, well, what if we related this continuum level idea to the cosmos, and then there's something on the outside of the boundary of the cosmos that's running everything. Okay, so what's the material model of the cosmos? It's Einstein's general theory of relativity. So then the question becomes, okay, well, and if that's a material model, can I relate Hooke's law to that? And we've done that. So in other words, but now the, the general theory of relativity says it's not pulling it, it's actually everything is bent, space time is bent. Okay, but by definition, because there's a stress inside the cosmos, in the general theory of relativity, just like there's stress inside the car, by definition, there is something on the outside of the boundary that's causing the stress. Oh, that's interesting. That's the proof of God's hand on the outside of everything. Whoa. So, so we've got by a universe. Definition. It's yeah. by definition. Wow. So we've got a universe 28 billion light years across, right? Is my understanding. Yep. And, and um, you're saying that because there is uh, a force on the inside, um, that there must be a force on the outside. There's, yeah, and that, and that force is called attraction force. That's right, by definition. And think when, about when you car. say by definition, you mean by, de you mean by Einstein's theory of general relativity? You have to put all the equations together. Einstein's general theory, the conservation equations, and Cauchy's law. So Cauchy's law relates the stress to the thing on the outside of the okay. continuum body. So I have a continuum body, whether it's a car, whether it's a train, whether it's plane, and then there's attraction, we call it T on the outside. And now this continuum body is the universe and attraction T is God's hands. Okay, so so um, I'm not completely getting that. So when you say, when you say let's that say there's- I, Let's say I had a balloon. Yeah. And the balloon was the universe. Okay. And I had my hands on the outside of the balloon and I'm pushing it and everything. My hands are the boundary, pushing the balloon whatever I want and it's controlling everything on the inside. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just like when I'm driving a car, the wind, the road, everything is pushing the car. Gotcha. And there's different okay. stresses. There's different stresses inside that car, different locations. There's different things going on inside that car. So are you saying that if, if God's hands were not on the outside, then what would the inside of the balloon be like? Yeah, well, well so the Big Bang Theory talks about the expansion of the universe. Okay, and there's data that maybe it was expanding, maybe it was the same, but any structure that's happening inside the cosmos now, any structure at, at the super cluster level, at the, at the cluster level of the galaxies, at the solar system level, at the earth level, whatever, now there's a multi-scale hierarchy of structures that are influencing each other from the system all the way down to the lowest link scales, hmm. coming from the boundary value, coming from the boundary, the tractions on the outside. Now, um, 
And and how do we know that the universe is a closed system? I mean, I, I know that that's, that's generally accepted, I, I believe. Um, but, but, you know, we, we the... the... Here's, here's, here's what they mean by that. Okay. Okay, so here's what they mean. So imagine a balloon, okay? And a balloon that's expanding. So what, what, what they're saying is, if I start on one side of the balloon and go around the circle, I can go around forever and there's no bounds, okay? Yeah. Well, well but in, in one sense, they're right. But in another sense, it's still bound. It's bound by the balloon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And, and I can still take my hands on the outside of the balloon and just push it, squash it, push it, whoever I want with it. Yeah. Okay, so the evidence, so by definition, like you're saying, because of those three laws, there has to be uh, influence outside of the universe that's that's causing to happen what's happening on the inside of the universe. Right, right. And that is a that is a scientific but, proof for God's existence. That's a scientific proof. And, the, and those equations are the mathematical proof then of his existence because it's a boundary value problem. Yeah. Wow. It's been um, proved over and over. Now, have you, um, have you shared this with other scientists? Have you published this? You, I mean, you've published in a lot of journals. Have you published this? Yeah. So what, what we did, we've published five papers in secular journals, just about the model, the constituent relations and showing all those things with Hooke's law and Einstein's theory. We did all that. I've not published anything and shown that this is the proof of God's existence. That's coming up. I'm working on that right now. Okay. okay. But what I did, I presented it at um, Liberty University to, at a convocation there. And if people want to go to online, there's a, if you go to YouTube and you just look up my name, Horstemeyer, it'll pop. It's, I think it's the first thing that pops up, honestly. And it goes through a 35 minute, uh, it shows the equations, uh, goes through the analogies and all that sort of thing. That's fantastic. And so then, it, then I, and then later I, I spoke at an international conference in Cyprus and uh, there was nine Nobel prize winners and there was a national Academy of science uh, people in from Europe there. And I, I presented this idea. And uh, when I was done, um, um, in fact, two, two, two people, two men in the crowd were crying. I found out one was a president of a university in Austria and one was a senior engineer. They both were Christians and they couldn't believe somebody speaking like this in Europe. Wow. But, but, but immediately the guy on the right hand corner, a Nobel prize winner stood up and said, I agree with what he's saying. And I'm an atheist. Wow. That's I, spent about a, I, I spent about an hour with him uh, going just through the details of that it ends up. He's, he's a Jewish man. Uh, he was a material scientist. So he understood fully what I was trying to talk about. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so is he still an atheist? Well, after my hour with him, I looked at him and said, Daniel, I, I don't think you're an atheist. As, because what I did too, I went through Genesis 1-1 and I was going through the Hebrew language of Bereshith and, and uh, meaning time and Shemayam meaning space and Eritz meaning matter. And I started telling him about space, time and matter in the Trinity and in the continuum of the very first verse and the physics with that. And you know, as a Jewish man, he was excited. He said, I, I read the, our Bible many times. I never heard of this physics stuff. And, and in the end, he, he, he said, I really like all this. I said, well, Daniel, I don't think you're an atheist then. And it sounds <laughs> like you believe. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm probably a believer. Right? Yeah, I probably. He said, but I bragged to be an atheist because we do that in the science community. 
Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully that trend goes away. Um, so uh, for those of you listening, my guest today is Dr. Mark Horstemeyer. He's the Dean of the School of Engineering with Liberty University. And uh, you can check him out and the, the program there if you're interested, liberty.edu forward slash engineering. And uh, you can check out all that kind of stuff. It's really fantastic. And uh, now more than ever, we need Bible believing Christians who can articulate um, their views uh, intelligently and in a way that uh, other scientists uh, can can hear from you. And um, this is a great person to learn under. So I hope you'll take the opportunity to check that out. And um, so along those same lines, um, uh, uh, Mark, you know, your your program, um, you talk about uh, that, that quote um, where it talks about creationeering. And I wanted to ask you about that. Um, you know, what does set liberty apart as far as, you know, if, if somebody, a, a young person is considering going to a secular university or they're considering going to Liberty, um, what, what reasons would they have to go to um, study at Liberty in the engineering program versus a secular university? Does it make yeah, that, that big of a difference really? That, that's good, Kevin, that's a good question. You know, my undergrad education was West Virginia University. My master's degree is Ohio State. I went to Georgia Tech for PhD. I took classes at Stanford when I was at Sandia Labs. And then, you know, I taught at Mississippi State University. So I've been all over uh, secular institutions and, um, and Liberty's different. It's just different. And the idea of creationeering is something that we trademarked. I trademarked it just this last year. And based on Von Karman's statement about science and discovery of what exists, engineering is a creation of what never was. Kevin, I asked, the dean, all the deans of engineering uh, several years ago, where did the word engineering come from? Not a single person got it right. Not a single dean in the United States got it right. They said, oh, it comes from the Latin word ingenious, you know, so we're ingenious people and everything. And I laughed. I said, man, that's sales and marketing. That's not history. <laughs> that's not history. It actually came, for the first usage of it came, remember the catapults? They called those engines when they threw the big rocks. Oh, yeah. The catapults back when. But it wasn't formalized as an educational thing to Robert Fulton's steam engine. It's actually an engine. Interesting. Okay? They yeah. were engineers. So then I asked the deans a question. I said, okay, now how many engineers across the world are working on engines? Uh, less than 1%. Yeah. So I said, so it's a bad word. It's, it's not a good word. It's, it's a misnomer, right? Well, what's a better word? And, and well, let's go to Von Karman. And let's say, okay, if it's related to creation, then we're creationeers. Then I started thinking about, from the Bible's perspective, what does this mean, okay? And let, let's take, for example, Genesis 1, verses 26, 28. And Genesis 1, 26, we were created in the image of God as humans, as created love beings. We were created from a creator. And, and that creativeness now resides in us, in our mannishness, I'll say. And so... Um, then since God created everything and what science is, science is a study of what, what he did. Well, Romans 1.20 says we can understand his character, nature, and attributes by the things he made. So the goal now of science, if you're studying what exists, is to understand the creator. Mm. He's revealed himself. That's the goal. It's glorify God in there. Number one. So then we can create that. That's, that's the science. That's the goal of science. But Proverbs 8.12 says, he gives knowledge for witty inventions. That's the engineering. And so now, 
in Romans one and excuse me, Genesis one twenty eight, when he says, "You are to rule and reign as a human," the Creator says to the created human being, "You're to rule and reign." What does ruling and reigning mean? I think it deals with both science and then engineering. So now you're creating technologies. You're creating. You're being innovative. What's innovative? It's getting revelation from the Creator to get ideas about what to do based on what you studied and understand in the creation. Mm. And then you create a company. I don't think in Genesis 128, when he says you have to have dominion over things, I don't think it's just a theological position or a political position, but it's a doing thing you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, so then you go from the science to understand, to create a technology, to have entrepreneurship, to create a business. So it goes from science to, en- to engineering, to entrepreneurship, to the business. And you run your business, you create value, okay? By, by, by doing this from the creator's perspective. And, and the example I'll give is this. So I started a, a football home, a company. And so the science is I'm studying what exists and I'm trying to learn from God. So I looked at the woodpeckers. I looked at rams hitting each other. I looked at turtle shells. Uh, I looked at, at armadillo shells. I looked at the, the bison hitting each other. And you can look up journal articles. I published on all these things. And I asked God, I said, what is the secret in your designs, in your engineering design, when you go through that, what did you do in your engineering process? And there's three secrets in all those things. He did three things. So that's the science part. I studied, I understood. What are the three things? I'm only going to tell you one. Oh, (laughs) okay. Okay? I'm only going to tell you one for now. How do we find out the other two? Uh, If you want to invest in my football helmet company, we can do that. Okay. Okay. We'll do that. Okay, so you've got currently you've got a football helmet company currently. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've it's called uh, Yobel, and I'll tell you about that. We've won two NFL uh, head health challenges uh, money right now, and we're going to be submitting our helmet here in July to the NFL head health challenge. Oh man, this this is an this is an incredible sales pitch for uh, the the engineering program at Liberty right here. Yeah, we're going to see what happens. I'm loving it. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm loving it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, so now, so then we created the helmet and we, and so one of the fun things you see in all those designs is something called a functional gradient. It's always hard on the outside and goes softer to the inside from the turtle shell to the ram's horn to the woodpecker beak, all this. Wow. So we did that. We created a helmet that's really hard on the outside and goes softer, 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 goes on the inside. And my data shows we're two times better in every helmet. Right? Two wow. Times. That is so cool. <laughs> so we have a product. So we went from science to engineering. I started a company for entrepreneurship. And now I'm trying to do a business for this. So this is the example of the dominion mandate. Mm. And I'm trying to do this as an example for students to learn this very thing. So when, when freshmen come in, we start with the 14 grand challenge, the National Academy's grand challenges. And we say, okay, what's the science associated? What's the engineering we're going to do? And and, and I'm going to explain the engineering process and the entrepreneurship process here in a few seconds. But we have our freshmen go through it. And by the time they're seniors, they've gone through this. And we have a minor in entrepreneurship. My idea is they have a company by the time they're done. They have wow. patents and they have a company and they're ready to rock and roll. Man, that is incredible. I love it. I'm going to tell all my, all my engineer uh, potential students uh, to, uh, to go check that out. That's incredible. I love it. Yeah, no, that would be great. We would love to have them. Yeah. And, uh, I just think, um, that makes so much sense that, you know, what you're doing there is, um, 
you know, from a biblical perspective and, and taking that and making it practical um, and actually fulfilling, you know, God's call on their life as an engineer and uh, then being a light through, through engineering. It's really cool. Kevin, I, I, every one of these high school kids that comes through or somebody that we have a master's and PhD program, even the undergrad, I say about the master's and PhD, I said, you are to rule and reign for your creator. And I say, how many people ever told you that? Kevin, you know how many people? I've, I've only been here since January 2019. Guess how many people, how many of those kids have been told that? I can't believe it's very many. Zero. Yeah, yeah. Zero. Wow. That's that's yeah. That's something we gotta we gotta the church has gotta get better at. Yeah, that's our first command to us is to rule and reign. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm taking notes. I'm writing that down. All right, brother. So (laughs) another point about and so the engineering process is you design first, but design's not everything, and and that that's where the intelligent design people stop. They do a good work there, but it's not engineering. You have to analyze things. Look, look, when God made things, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth went through. What happened at the end of the first day? He did science. He said, I looked at it and it was good. Mm. Okay. Engineering I like, first, followed yeah. by science, right? Yeah, I like the design. He looked, so he analyzed it. Now, of course, he knew it infinitely, he said right away. Right. And then then procurement is, you know, I make things. Right? And that's a different thing than design. Now, you design for making things. You design for manufacturing, but the manufacturing is different itself. You design for logistics, but then logistics is something different. In our kids, that in our place, we have the students, they do a, make, they make a formula car. They make a race car from nothing every, every year, and then they go compete. So for nothing, you have to design. You have to have a, con- a, prelim- a conceptual design, a preliminary design, final design, and you got to go through the, the engineering process. And at the end, you race it for performance and function. But the design is not just for the performance and function. What about logistics? What about assembly? And those kids find out how horrible their designs were for assembly. And of course, we know Henry Ford, that's what made Ford the big deal was, was, was assembly. Yeah. So this whole notion of this process of thinking in engineering. Now, what I say is that's not just creationering, though, because creationering brings in the entrepreneurship. I had a friend of mine. I said, well, God's an engineer. God's an engineer. He said, Mark, God's a businessman. I'm not a businessman. What are you talking about? I'm not a businessman. He goes, look, God's interested in humans, human personnel. God's interested in moral law, legal. God's interested in finances and stewardship, finance and accounting. He, He always has... Uh, uh, an organizational structure management all right and let's see what's the fifth one well god's interested in sales evangelism sales and evangelism <laughs> sales and marketing communication that's right there you go and so i didn't have an answer for him. that's so funny yeah i said i i, I give up i i so creationeering to me then embraces both of those things to to fulfill the dominion mandate that is beautiful that is so beautiful yeah i heard uh i i read uh book by Billy Graham. And he said he learned to be an evangelist by being a, uh, I believe he said a toothbrush door-to-door salesman. Oh. Uh, I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's, That's cool. Great. You got that, brother. You you, you helped me. Uh, you helped me. Uh, <laughs> let's say, before we quit, I've got to make one more point about design. Yeah. About this whole thing in creationary. And I don't call this a proof, but I call it an evidence that's experimentally validated. And the point is this in design. 
we have objectives, constraints, and, and variables. And it happens at different length scales. So in a car, you know, it has its objectives. It's got, it's got to sustain, it's got to, it's got to keep people safe. That's why the car crash thing is in there, okay? So you're increasing safety. Anytime, the objective has to increase or decrease. And then you have constraints. So every length scale going on, every subsystem, the chassis, the next length scale, you know, the, the, uh, the control arms, the axles, the tires, they're all, the constraints all come from the system, right? All right, now here's the thing about the objectives. If there's more than one objective, by definition again, from the Pareto frontier, the mathematical construct, it requires intelligence outside the system to pick the answer because there's more than one solution. Ooh, that's by, really interesting. By definition. Okay, there's more so, than one objective. We, we're gonna have to talk about that twice because I feel like that's really important. Um, so, so you just said that when you have more than two, one objective in a, in something design that's been designed and something that's been, yeah, been designed, you have to have intelligence outside uh, the system to pick the, what the solution is. Let me give you an example. Yeah. So let's say that God just made, one objective of my finger was to point. That was one objective. Okay. The mathematical solution says it'll converge and just go right down. There. All right. It'll converge in it, what? It'll converge just to, to optimize the pointer. Okay. Gotcha. But what if there's another object objective that says I want it to grab. Now I have two. So what happened? The pointer now compromises a little bit to be able to grab. Mm. If the only one was objective to grab, it wouldn't, it would be different than the two objectives of pointing and grabbing. Hmm. Now, by definition, it requires intelligence outside because there's a multiple set of solutions for that. Now, when you say by definition, um, you're saying you're you're um, asserting uh, the claim. Why why is it by definition? You're you're appealing to logic there. You're you're yeah, saying no. I'm appealing actually to mathematics now. Okay. And there's something called a Pareto frontier. And the Pareto, so we, Wilfredo Pareto came up with these mathematics. It was originally related to economics and, and how to maximize economics related to constraints and variables on systems. But we've been using it in design and engineering for, for years now. And, um, and so when you do the mathematics and you do the calculations, so I've done all these car crash simulations, design optimization. I've done this design optimization of the football helmet. I've done it with nuclear bombs. And, and what happens is you compromise different parts and you're trying, it's trying to converge on a solution mathematically using high-performance computing. So the idea of using high-performance computing to run through these iterations to come down to the solution space. Mm. Even in the end, the solution space gives you options, you know, in the Pareto frontier because I have one objective and another objective. It's a curve. It's a curve. And you have to, you have, to have some sort of a compromise there. Um, yeah. and, and this is devastating for evolution because... Uh, there are numerous organisms and uh, systems within creation, within nature, that have numerous uh, object objectives, and exactly. so, so that in and of itself um, presumes design. Now that that's so interesting because I haven't heard that argument very often um, made, you know, uh, out and about. Well, uh, maybe have, they haven't done the mathematics or the high performance computing and all that that I've lived through. That's probably why. Yeah, it seems like scientists that are knowledgeable about these issues should naturally come to the conclusion that uh, there must be a designer. And this isn't this isn't just oh, it's 
it's designed because it we think it looks designed. This is this is the uh, the conclusion that you must have. It's not, it's not an option. It's exactly right. In fact, you know, way back, I'm going to say it was 1988. I went to a debate by Dwayne Gish and Paul Sarek. He's a professor at Berkeley for years, and I remember one of Sarek's argument was a uh, the whale fin is designed horribly. It's designed horribly. So after the debate, I went up to him. I said, sir, I said, um, why was it? I said, does it function? Does it work? Does the whale fin work? Yes, it does. I said, in your mind, as a designer, what would it, what would it look like? And why would it, you know? And so he said, what well, should do this, that, and the other? I said, okay. I said, no, look, if, if that fin was supposed to be an existent organism by itself, you probably could be right. But remember, we're talking about a whale. The whole system is a whale. <laughs> And, and you're going to compromise that fin to fit on the whale. And the whale has other objectives and other parts of it. And so your view of a bad design is you don't understand systems engineering. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then I said, did you, have, did you ever design anything? Make it. And he said, well, in the garage, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> but but he, he never went through a formal mathematical design process that i'm talking about yeah this is just a lack of knowledge it's coming to a conclusion based yeah. on a, a lack of understanding yeah, yeah that's yeah. yeah well uh well for those of you lis listening um my guest today is mark horstemeyer he is uh the dean of the school of engineering and um and uh, he has a phd in mechanical engineering as well as numerous other um uh, uh accolades relate to his name. He's published over 500 journal articles, conference papers, books, technical reports, and been cited over 12,000 times. Um, I find that just astonishing. And um, if you're interested in, in learning under his uh, guidance, uh, you can join Liberty University uh, and the School of Engineering. You can also check him out on YouTube, youtube.com uh, forward slash Horstemeyer, if you want to check that out. Um, so, so what do you anticipate the future of, uh, we only have a little bit of time left here, but I'm just curious, what do you anticipate the future of the engineering program at, um, at Liberty, um, Mark? What do, you, what do you foresee? Yeah, well, we're, we're growing pretty, pretty well. When I started just two years ago, we had 400 students. We have 1,000 now. Wow. And we have an online program uh, as well in our graduate school. Like I said, we started, first thing I did was develop the grad program. We have 30 masters and PhD students. So I'm hoping it'll grow. The thing I'm focusing on myself personally is something called simulating genesis, the same multi-scale material modeling that has history effects that we've applied to thermonuclear bombs and cars and planes and trains. I'm trying to play, apply to the days of creation and the genesis flood. Wow. And, yeah. And, and so the history effects of so how day one plays into day two and day three and all that, and using those simulations to show another validation, if you will, of the Bible in the early parts of the Bible. Oh my gosh, man. Oh, that almost makes me want to become an engineer just to go through your program. <laughs> I hope so, Kevin. I'd love to have you. <laughs> yeah, I'd be the oldest person there. But uh, anyway, um, thanks so much for coming on the program today. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to be spreading the word about Liberty and the engineering program there and everything you're doing. And um, I'm just praying for your ongoing success because we need more uh, scientists and engineers like you who are, who are uh, just determined and dedicated and getting the job done. So that's, that's just so exciting to me. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Really appreciate it.
Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, if you've uh, heard the program, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, we have hundreds of other programs up there with scientists from all over the world, uh, like uh, Dr. Horstemeyer, and uh, who really know their stuff and are able to communicate effectively and really show that uh, the God of creation is the God of science, is the God of the Bible. And uh, you can take that to the bank. And so uh, God bless you. And uh, we look forward to being with you next time. And uh, my website again is educateforlife.org. Full online apologetics curriculum you can check out there and uh, start to build a firm foundation for your belief in the, in the Bible and the word of God and Jesus Christ. So I hope you can take advantage of that. God bless you. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye, Mark. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you, man. You got it.